You're listening to the podcast of Church of the Holy Cross in Popper Bluff, Missouri, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at holycrosspb.org. morning in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have a natural tendency to be enticed by the big, don't we? Even though we're in Missouri, I think we secretly still like the motto of Texas, right? Everything's bigger and better in Texas. The fast, the flashy, the viral video, the overnight success, that which goes from small to big, quickly and, and fade sometimes with the same uh, flash. If Samuel and Paul had to both remind us and be reminded to not look at outward appearances, how much more of a challenge would that be for us in America with super Walmarts and Amazon and Texas? We have to be reminded of this. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. But see, the Bible doesn't say what is small is good and what is big is bad. But what is supreme starts insignificantly small and grows unnoticeably slow. We're in the Gospel of Mark, the season of ordinary time or the season after Pentecost or the season after Trinity, however you want to say it. It goes by a number of names. And in this gospel, Jesus bursts on the scene quickly. And his first words are this. The time, the kairos, is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So if we're to understand what Jesus is getting at when he gives us these parables, when he gives us this insight into what the kingdom of God is like, we have to first understand what is the kingdom of God. See, Jesus didn't come saying, the time is fulfilled, go join the church right now. The time is fulfilled, go do good things right now. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So what is this kingdom of God? What is it that has come near and is bursting on the scenes and is changing everything through which the entire world will be redeemed? Well, let's just think about the nature of a kingdom real quick. What is a kingdom, right? A kingdom, as Scott McKnight says, has five characteristics. A kingdom has to have a king, number one, okay? You're not the king, by the way. Just whisper that one. Has to have a king, a king who rules, has an effective rule. A king over a people, there has to be people who are not the king a law or a way to live into the kingdom or a story by which they adopt as their ultimate rule and law. And number five, a sacred space or place over which that rule is exercised. In the Old Testament, this was the promise of the land, right? I give you a promised land over which he, God, is the ultimate king. Remember, the only reason Samuel and Saul and David are in the story is because the people didn't want want God as their king. They wanted somebody that they could see and argue with, (laughs) right? 
So there has to be an area, a, a, a domain, a territory over which this king rules. For us, in this part of salvation history, it's the sacred space where the church takes up residence. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God first takes root where the kingly rule of Jesus is embodied in small, insignificant spaces. Small, insignificant spaces, places where the kingly rule of Jesus is embodied by a people who pledge allegiance to this king. So Jesus this morning in telling us these parables is giving us insight as to what that kingdom is like, what the rule is like, how his kingdom and how his rule is played out in the world. And he says, and he is a contrasting our vision of the world with his insight as to the nature of kingdom. See, the spiritual, this physical sight of the small and insignificant has to translate into spiritual insight about what God is doing in the world. So most of us know, I think, this principle in, in, in some measure. We know this in principle, but miss it in practice. We understand that small things sometimes become big. After all, Amazon started in a garage, right? But yet when we approach life in this kingdom, we prefer the big over the starting and the small and the insignificant. Where is Jesus calling us to expect this kind of contrast of significance? I'll say it starts in two places. The two places that Jesus is really getting at. Number one, the kingdom of God in our hearts. Because this is really the first place that it has to begin and where it has to start in our hearts. And we know from the previous parable that Jesus just told, also talking about seeds and the kingdom and the ground and the rocks and the birds of the air and the cares of the world that steal that seed away, that the sower is first Jesus, as he's just explained to his disciples. The seed is the word and the ground is the state of the human heart. The state of the heart. J.C. Ryle says it this way, the earth, as we all know, never brings forth corn of itself. Anybody try to plant a garden and just hope that good stuff comes out rather than the weeds, right? It is a mother of weeds, but not wheat. The hand of man must plow it and scatter the seed or else there would never be a harvest. The heart of man in like manner will never turn itself to God. Repent and believe and obey. Grace in the heart of man is exotic. To despise the instrumentality of teachers and preachers is to expect corn where no seed has been sown. So the seed of God, the seed of the kingdom, has to take plantation into our hearts first. The rule of God must first take up residence and rule in our heart in small acts of trust and allegiance. Trust and allegiance. So the way of God of being in the world, the way that Jesus was in the world, the way he tells us his kingdom takes over the world like a weed of the mustard seed has to take plant, plant deep root in our hearts first. So today you have on your uh, worship guide, if you grabbed one, or if you're really fancy and using your iPhone, you didn't get one, so there's some in the back. But there's a little packet of seeds on the back. And while Jesus' uh, 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 illustration here of using the mustard seed isn't, it's not, this isn't a perfect transition, translation to the seed that's before you, because it is kind of like a weed, and Jesus didn't say the big cedars of Lebanon, but nevertheless, 
I'm using it anyway. These reminded me of the sequoia trees. You guys ever seen sequoias, the largest trees, one of the most ancient trees we have? So the last few sequoia groves are up in the northwest. Beautiful place. Look at this. That's a person standing in a grove of sequoia trees. Thousands and thousands of years old, these things are. And they started just like that seed that you have in the little packet that I gave you. Isn't that crazy? Something that large. Here's another picture of them compared to some of the big items that we know in the, in the world. Like There's Big Ben, and way over here to the right is the Hyperion, the largest of the sequoias, the largest tree in the world. Thousands and thousands of years old. I want to show you another one. This one is one that I got to stand inside of in, in the Sequoia National Forest. This is called the Fallen Monarch. It was hollowed out by fire before it fell more than 350 years ago. It fell 350 years ago, and it's still sitting there like that. These two guys, when they first discovered it, Cattleman Israel, that's an incredible name, first off, Cattleman Israel, right? And Thomas Gamlin, from 1868 to 1878, used it as a temporary shelter while they built their cabin nearby. Later, it was used as a hotel and a saloon from 1890 to 1914 as it served as a stable for the U.S. Cavalry, which patrolled the park. Look at that. That's me standing in it here and on another side touching it. And it, it fell that way over 350 years ago. And all these people and travelers and settlers took up refuge under this incredible tree that started as that seed. The little acts of trust, the little acts of allegiance, the little acts of kindness that we allow to dive deep in our hearts when we trust not on the outward appearances and the anxieties and the, the cares and the fears of maybe not getting what we need in life, but instead trust that God is present and at work, when we learn to trust those things in the small acts, it's the implantation of the seed in our heart under which others may someday take refuge like the fallen monarch. And yet when we instead trust in our ability to manipulate and control the world around us, to trust in force and violence and in the bigness of Texas over whatever is small and insignificant. We choose instead to sow rocks into our heart in the soil and to harden it. See, also Jesus says in this parable, the earth produces of itself. The seed has been sown and yet the guy who sowed it gets up and goes to bed knows not what goes on or how it takes root or how it grows. The earth produces of itself. You know what that tells me? That wherever the seed has been sown, wherever you've heard the good news of the gospel, you already have everything you need to live into that kingdom. The earth produces of itself. So even though your situation might be scary and hard and confusing and the future might not be quite clear, Jesus says, the earth produces of itself. Do you not think that what I sowed will come to fruition? Trust and obey, as the song says. And put our allegiance and our hope, not in the big things of the world around us, but in the seed that has been sown and that God has promised to bring that to fruition. God has already provided everything you need to live fully into his kingdom. God's kingdom will grow, and it will not be in the ways we expect. 
It'll be in the most unexpected and sometimes even the most undesired ways. What is fertilize? Right? Spread some of that in your garden. It smells wonderful, doesn't it? It's kind of unexpected. Sometimes life's the same way. And yet the kingdom grows in our heart. The second way, what Jesus, I think, is getting at here is not only first in our heart, but the kingdom of God in the world. And this is really where he goes and where we understand the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God in the world, through the church, that is, through his community, right? That realm of people who are under the king in his territory, who are obeying the king in wherever they are now, where the kingly rule of Jesus is manifest. That is the kingdom of a community of redeemed vice regents working on his behalf. The kingdom will invade, and what we see throughout the book of Revelation and what is promised, especially in this harvest that Jesus talks about, will invade the whole world. And through this community, through this small insignificant seed, the entirety of creation will be redeemed. That's pretty big, starting from something so small 2,000 years ago. You see, the church is the manifestation of God's kingly rule on earth. If we do not believe that the full power and presence of the kingdom and the kingly rule of God are present in the church now, we don't believe the New Testament and we don't take Jesus at his word. It is embodied in the church. Because where else other than the church do you get to experience the kingdom of God in its fullness? Where else are the sacraments of baptism, the initiation into the kingdom, and the continual sustenance for the life in this world through the Eucharist and the word preached? Where else is that found? Nowhere. It starts and it breeds and it grows and it infiltrates and it takes off like a weed only first through the church. That's why the church fathers from from Cyprian all the way to John Calvin and all the way on would say something like this, that extra ecclesium nulla salus. There is no salvation outside the church. What is that? Saying God's not up to anything outside these walls? No. What it's saying is that this is the realm where God's promises are promised, where they are experienced, where we can live into them here in the church. There is no salvation outside the church. The kingdom is not identical to the church, but it's the divinely sanctioned place that it may be encountered. It's the promise. It's the place where we can learn to till our hearts and receive that seed, and sometimes the fertilized too. But we often, I think, or at least for me, I experience chronic anxiety sometime about making that seed produce, right? So if you, if you don't know, I have a background in agriculture. And I would see this a lot sometimes in my grandfather and when you plant the seed and he can't quite sit still. So we're, we see in the gospel reading this morning, the, the guy who sowed it would get up and go to bed. And obviously he'd be at work, but he says he doesn't know how it produces. But he kind of has a piece that it will. Sometimes we would go out there and stress over that seed, right? Sometimes go dig a few up and see how it's doing, just so we know what to do next. Like we can affect the growth of that seed. We often experience chronic anxiety trying to make the seeds produce. So maybe somebody that I I sowed some trust into or sowed the seed into or or even watered, I would go and and try to coerce them a little bit more to love Jesus a little bit more. Or how about this one? To take responsibility for their own actions, right? Because me getting somebody else to take responsibility for their own actions is kind of like me taking responsibility for their own actions, right? There is no coercion in the kingdom of God. That seed has to grow on its own. 
So what is my responsibility, right? Anytime we bump into anxiety, a good question to ask there is, what is my responsibility in this situation? What is the other person's responsibility in this situation? And what is left only to God? The seed grows on its own. So we, in our responsibility, are called to sow, to get up, to work, to go to bed, to trust, to pray, to water, and to reap. Because you have to believe, right? When we look at this story of the, of the, of the sower, and, it's, and he says, he gets up, where is it now? Now I'm lost where I am. He gets up, he would rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow, and he knows not how. Have you ever been around a farmer? He gets up night and day. Is he, is he getting up and going to the beach? No, he's doing things that ensure that this seed has what it needs. Who have you sown seeds into in your life? This is the compassionate care that is there, not taking responsibility for their own choices, but is there in compassionate care. Who are you watering? Maybe this is kids, right? That you've sown into so much and maybe don't share the quite the same principles and values that you do or, or, and you want to manipulate and control their, their, their future into caring about these things. It's the, the, the constant care of the watering and not expecting to, to bring the increase. As, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. This word here in our text is automatos. All by itself, the earth gave its increase. It invites human response to be stewards of that, but not to bring the growth. It's not dependent on our work. Here's something really important. The kingdom of God does not come about by us building it. Is that different? Nowhere in scripture do we hear that the people of God go and build the kingdom. The kingdom comes. The kingdom infiltrates like a weed. We don't create, build, construct, extend, or render present the kingdom, despite how we sometimes think that we do. The kingdom originates with God. It draws its character from God, and it precedes any human response to it, even though its presence demands human response. He would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow, and he does not know how. Slowly, slowly puts out the stalk, and then the head, and then finally the grain. One other story I want to share with you this morning is, is one of my favorite breweries in the world. Okay, Probably didn't think you'd hear about my favorite brewery this morning. I actually traveled all the way to Brussels, Belgium, to visit this brewery. This is a particular type of beer called a lambic. Okay? And so Cantillon is the name of this place in Brussels. It's an incredible place. It originated there in the Flanders region of Belgium. And so what they do, they brew this beer, right? They make it, and they pipe it up into this ancient barn. Ancient. It's old anyway. It's ancient to me. And they have these big copper dishes, uh, vats up there that are open. They're only about this deep. And so they pipe that beer up there while it's hot, and they let it sit and cool. And while it sits there, it gets inoculated with the yeast that is found only in the rafters of this one barn. Over hundreds of years, the yeast from the area in this Flanders, this incredibly fruitful region, has found its home in this barn. They tried to expand years ago, built another place, but they couldn't recreate the beer because the yeast was only in the wood of that barn. So that's just the first phase. Then they pipe it down and they barrel it and they throw maybe some fruit or something in it and they stick it away for years. This beer takes years to produce. There's no way you can speed it up. It's an incredible, incredible treat. 
But as I was walking through the barrel house where they had all these barrels of beer stashed away in cobwebs and, and aging, they had this one piece of the end of a barrel up on the wall, and it had this. I think I have a picture of it here. It said in French, sorry, Laura, you'll have to help me with my pronunciation. La tempest ne respecte pas se qua se façons Louis. Time does not respect what is done without it. Time does not respect what is done without it. And in that word time, the way I understand the translation in the French isn't just like your clock, but it's lived time. Lived time. We understand the difference there a little bit, don't we? Difference in lived time and just the passing of time. Time does not respect what is done without lived time. This is kind of like what Jesus is talking about. The implantation of the seed may not produce a harvest tomorrow, but it's the slow trusting and the allegiance and the so planting of the seed in the world around us and in our hearts that eventually produces magnificent beer sometimes, <laughs> like in Cantiel, a huge harvest. But for us, our expectations are both too small and too big. We underestimate what the kingdom of God will do and is and will be. And we expect it to come too fast and too shiny and too flashy. The kingdom of God takes plant in small, insignificant places and grows to something magnificent. So in closing this morning, I want to remind you of a few things. Jesus has already provided and explained everything we need. Did you hear the end of this passage? He explained everything to them in private, but to the crowds, he left everything in parables. Do you know what we have? We have the rest of the explanation. He's already explained everything we need. He's already given you everything you need in the earth itself. So we must now align our story and our hopes and our vision of the good life with his and the truths of this kingdom of God. Secondly, we don't create the message, and despite sometimes what I think, you can't make it more clever. Our call is to scatter what has been entrusted to us, what we have received. Because if Jesus is both the sower, he also trusts us and invites us to participate in that sowing. Isn't that incredible? That the kingdom of God is coming in the world and it's here now, through which the entirety of creation will be redeemed. And then he asks us to get involved in it too. And he gives us the seed to sow. It's been entrusted to us. Thirdly, the means of the kingdom, ready for this one? This is the one that I don't like, right? The means of the kingdom must never be compromised by attempting to manipulate the ends. We're the unknowing farmer. We don't get to create the abundance. We can't force things to go the way that we think they need to. What we do is we trust and we sow and we water in kindness and compassion. In kindness and compassion. We can't cause the growth. We're called to be consistent in care. So a few things came to mind as I, as I, I kind of sat in that this week. Children. Right? Maybe sometimes the greatest seed of the kingdom of God that you got to sow was in those kids. Slow, slow growth. 
trust that God is in those small acts of care in those kiddos. I think of the Allens and those kids that they brought into their home. And I want to say, the kingdom of God is at work. Trust in those small acts. I think of the little things at food pantry with Sam and everybody else that helps there. The small acts. The kingdom of God is at work. The small acts when you want to respond angrily and instead trust that God is present and working. The small acts that someday may shape your heart a little bit more. Choosing to respond in kindness rather than react with anxiety and anger. Choosing to trust that God is at work rather than manipulate people through coercion or anger because there is no coercion in the kingdom of God. So I want to draw our attention a little bit to something of the prayer, the collect of the week this week that we have yet to pray, but we're about to. It'll be up on the screen here. I love this. Have you ever noticed and paid attention to the collect of the week? and how it draws together the themes of the morning and then the prayers of the people. Do you pray that through the week? That's kind of what it's designed for, right? We, we get this prayer on Sunday, and then all week this is to guide our thoughts and our prayers together. But this week's is, keep, is this, ready? Keep, O Lord, your household, the church, in your steadfast faith and love. So it's first about the church, us. That through your grace we may, ready? Here's how it's embodied. Here's how this passage is embodied. Proclaim your truth with boldness, the sowing of the seed. And it's two-part. Minister your justice with what? Rightness. With compassion. That's the care that the farmer gets up and goes to bed every day in the world around him. So, do you have your worship guide? You get to see everybody. Hold it up. Everybody that actually uses their phone, right? You've got a little packet of seed. I would love for you to go try to plant a sequoia. I don't know if they'll grow here or not. They're beautiful trees. Give it a try. But really what that's for is this. Put that in your pocket. Tape it on your refrigerator. Tape it on your mirror. Somewhere that you'll see it regularly. And remember the small, insignificant seeds of the kingdom and the trust and the patience and the slow growth that comes from that. And get up and water and go to bed, trusting in peace with no anxiety because Jesus has promised to bring it to fruition. Amen.